Welcome to Food Chat, a weekly show that's all about food production, including farming, ranching, processing, and basically all things involved in getting food from the field to your plate. Now, let's get you reconnected to your food, and here are your hosts, Greg Bloom and Chef Jackson Lamb. Talk about an uphill battle, 2,000 acres of beans and cattle. He don't ever get rattled. He just goes to the sun goes down. This is Gregory Bloom. Welcome to Food Chat. Chef Jackson Lamb and I are in studio and we're excited to bring you another episode of Food Chat, which is a show about food, all things food, how food gets to your table and you farmers, ranchers, dairy women. Today we have a great guest from a dairy and we're going to interview introduce uh, Tara. And uh, hey, Tara, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to share with you today. Great, thank you. Chef Jackson Lamb. Hey, Chef, I didn't greet you. The, good morning. Well, morning, Greg, and how are you these days? I am fabulous. I am just loving this beautiful fall weather we're having and the change of season. It's, uh, it's a good time of year to uh, play the outdoors before the heavy-duty snow comes in, which we need. But uh, no, I'm doing great, and I'm excited to have... Tara on the show today. Uh, Tara, and Tara, I'm, I'm going to just s- try your name, and you tell me if I goofed it up. Tara Vander Dusen, right? You, you got it. Okay. And Tara, tell us, I'm going to open up with the question, and then I'll let Jackson, Chef Jackson ask you the next one. So um, you're very active on social media, and that's awesome. And I wish more dairy people, actually everybody in ag uh, that is in producing, whatever they're producing, I wish they were as active on social media as you are, and not just defending ag, but teaching people who don't know much about ag, about ag. So tell us about how did you get started in, you know, advocating for dairy? And you grew up at a dairy, so maybe you could just give our listeners a little bit of background of, of your your story and how you got into being a dairy farmer. Yeah, so I'm a fifth-generation dairy farmer, so I grew up on my family's dairy here in New Mexico. Um, I, you know, went away to school and got my degree actually in environmental science and, um, I ended up marrying a dairy farmer and moving back to New Mexico and was kind of trying to figure out, you know, what I wanted to do (laughs) after college. And it seemed like a kind of a natural fit to end up going into the environmental side of things for dairy farms. So I spent the last 10 years working as a dairy consultant on dairy farms throughout New Mexico and the Southwest helping them with, um, you know, just sustainability projects, their permitting, regulatory side of dairy farming. Um, And then from there, you know, I was a young mom, and I was online, obviously, just consuming social media. And I was just seeing a lot of negative posts about dairy farming, and specifically dairy farming and, like, its impact on the environment. And um, that was about the time that I decided to kind of launch my own, like, platform and start really sharing and showing up online to be able to um, kind of advocate for agriculture and share with people what it looked like from the sustainability, environmental side of things of dairy farming and just kind of show people what I was seeing on my life on our dairy farm as well as, you know, working with my clients throughout New Mexico. You know, on your uh, LinkedIn um, account, you mentioned the term Dutch dairy farmer. What does that mean and what implications does that have to sustainability? Yeah, so um, my family immigrated from the Netherlands. My dad is a first generation born in the United States and so um, my grandparents came over in about the 1950s when they were in their late 20s 
Um, so I actually have a lot of family still in the Netherlands. My a couple of my dad's cousins still have dairy farms in the Netherlands, uh, and so and then my husband is also um, from a Dutch heritage. So just um, those Dutch, you know, roots really run deep for us, and um, it's you know it's an important part of our life and, and just our legacy. I have a question since you're um, uh, about uh, the Netherlands and what's going on over there. I mean, do you think it's sustainable for Dutch dairy farmers in the Netherlands to keep going with the political landscape there and all the new legislative rules they're trying to implement about global warming? Just give us some thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, that's a very complicated topic, obviously. But yeah, the farmers are obviously protesting, not just the dairy farmers, but farmers as well, protesting the regulations on fertilizer use, nitrogen in soils. Um, And, you know, I think that it should be something that the rest of the world, especially here in America, we keep an eye on. I think that it could be like a little bit of writing on the wall for us of what could be coming down the pipeline for us. Um, Obviously, we have to produce food like that is we have to do that. And there is a cost um, and, you know, that comes with producing any food, no matter what food you're producing. I think one of the things with, you know, the EU is that they are very focused, it seems to me, like on local sustainability, making improvements to their local, you know, sustainable, their ecosystem. Um, But a lot of times what they forget is the global picture and that a lot of times when you make regulations, um, what you end up doing is just pushing off those emissions onto another country. Um, And I think that that is something we all in developed nations have to be really careful about is that when we make regulations, we end up putting farmers out of business, we have to have food. So we're going to make those farms are going to have to come up in other parts of the the world. And um, it's just not, you know, we can't just be focused on what it looks like locally. Uh, I know that the farmers in the Netherlands um, are really progressive, are doing big things to be more sustainable. So instead of, you know, playing the blame game or pointing the finger at them, I think we should instead be like working together to figure out how we make a more safe and sustainable, holistic food system approach. Um, and so I just, you know, it's, it's a complicated topic, but um, well, at the end of the day, we have to have food. So <laughs> that's, that's what it comes down to. You know, growing up, I was a milk fan, you know, sour cream, cottage cheese, ice cream. I loved it all. But with the pushback we're, we're seeing these days, what are some of the common misconceptions that people are talking about regarding dairy? Yeah, so I think one big misconception or one thing that maybe people don't realize is that dairy consumption is actually at an all-time high, um, but we have shifted how we consume our dairy products. So in the past, we've had a lot more, obviously, fluid milk, and nowadays we have you know a lot more cheese, a lot more yogurt. Uh, there's just so many ways to consume dairy in this day and age. Uh, and so that's that's one misconception I see often is that people um, think that we're consuming less less milk, and uh, that that is not the case. We're actually I think we're at an all time high for cheese consumption and butter consumption, which I personally love to see. Um, you know, and then there's just obviously from there, there's so many misconceptions about dairy and its impact on the environment. Um, going back to that you know local versus global conversation. A lot of times people will reference global numbers for agriculture, but I really love to highlight what we're doing here in the United States. Um, here in North America, we have the lowest carbon footprint for a gallon of milk compared to anywhere in the world. Uh, 
here in the United States, dairy accounts for just about 2% of total greenhouse gas emissions. So, you know, there's just, there's a lot of really great data and a really good facts out there that support dairy as a part of a healthy, sustainable, you know, food system. Tara, your point about um, consumption of dairy products in other forms besides milk. Well, Chef Jackson and Lamb and I got to visit one of the larger dairy farms in Colorado a couple of years ago. Beautiful operation, and they love tours. And they, uh, if I remember right, 100% of their milk production goes to Laprino Foods to make mozzarella cheese for pizza. So people that eat pizza sometimes forget that that's, that comes from a dairy. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah, our cheese is also going to our our cheese. Our milk is also going to cheese. We have one of the world's largest cheese plants just down the road from us, so we um, all of our milk gets made into cheese as well. Yeah, love cheese. Tara, who do you feel like is, you know, attacking dairy on social media? When I see groups or people tweet about or post information about how dairy's causing global warming, you know, where, where's that coming from? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really complicated, you know, conversation as far as where exactly it's coming from. Uh, I think that there is a lot, I think a lot of times we deduct food into, you know, greenhouse gas emissions, and our food system is so much more complex than that. And I think people really miss the mark when they don't understand all the nuances and uh, details, the ins and outs of agriculture. You know, I think that I think of one example um, that was in the news recently, like Oatly, the alternative beverage, alternative milk brand, Oatly, was in the news recently. They are pretty like big uh, proponents of kind of like bashing dairy and um, and animal agriculture in general. And it was found out that their oats, their set oats, were being fed to pigs. And it was like that. Yeah, pigs, cattle, all these different things are such an important part of so many other food systems. You know, our cattle eat a ton of cotton seed, uh, which obviously comes from producing cotton, uh, cotton seed oil. Like, there's byproducts from producing all sorts of different things. And the amazing things about cattle is that they're able to consume those and upcycle them for us. And so I think in a lot of these conversations, you can't just look at, like, it's not black and white. There's a lot of gray area. And also with, you know, people online, I do think sometimes the loudest voice in the room is not always the majority. So we do have a lot of really loud people, you know, shouting and sharing and telling people that, you know, animal ag and dairy is is bad for the environment. But I think the overwhelming majority uh, support animal ag, consume animal ag products like cheese and milk and beef and all those amazing things. So it's just, I think we really have to get out there and do a lot of um, educating, explaining, sharing about those kind of nuances. Tara, I was delighted to hear that you've got such a huge cheese production facility down the road from you. Can you kind of shed some light on overall dairy production in the state of New Mexico, how that might compare to Arizona, Colorado, Utah? Yeah, I mean, most people would not assume New Mexico as like a dairy-producing state, but we're actually in the top 10 dairy-producing states. Um, there's a few counties here in New Mexico that are in the top counties, like dairy-producing counties in the United States. Um, so there's actually several, like, cheese facilities here um, where we're at, a little further down south. Uh, so cheese, cheese is the biggest, I would say, piece of New Mexico um, dairy. Uh, we do a lot of work where we export to... Um, 
Mexico, obviously our close, uh, our southern border there, we're able to export American cheeses into Mexico. Uh, so, yeah, I would say the New Mexico dairy, uh, the style of dairy farming is probably similar to Colorado and Arizona as far as us being a, um, our dairies are typically open lot style dairies. Um, and so kind of some similarities there across those states. Tara, we uh, noticed at the uh, dairy we visited a couple of years ago that the cows were very happy. And so most of the listeners of this show, I would say vast majority, have never had a chance to visit a dairy farm. So maybe we could just give them a virtual dairy farm tour. You could. Just tell us about, you know, what people see when they come and visit your dairy. What kind of uh, what breed of cows do you have, and you know, do you have to get out there with a cowboy and rope them and bring them into the barn, or do they line up? Just give us a little bit of uh, of a tour. Yeah, so our dairy, as I mentioned, is open lot. So basically, what that means is they have big open corrals. The cows are outside throughout the year with big shades to protect them from the sun, um, and then they are fed twice a day. We actually have a nutritionist that plans all of our cows' diets depending on what stage of life they're in. We want to make sure they're getting optimal nutrition. Um, and their ration, we call it a ration, is made up of all sorts of different things from hays and grasses um, to silages to making sure they have all their minerals and uh, vitamins they need. Um, the cows are also milked twice a day. And as you mentioned, cows are actually very much creatures of habit. So they pretty much know when they're supposed to go to the barn and start lining up by the gate and then uh, walk themselves to the barn. You know, uh, there's a cow pusher is what we call it. They go and open the gates so that the right gates are open for the right cows to head into the barn. The cows um, are actually only milked for about eight minutes twice a day. So just over 15 minutes a day, the cow actually spends being milk. The rest of the time, they're obviously spent in their pen, eating, chewing their cud, doing, you know, all those cow things. <laughs> um, and then we raise all of our own calves here on site too. And our calves get a bottle twice a day as well as fresh grain, water. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of, I guess, the typical dairy day in 30 seconds. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Tara, from my experience working with Robinson Dairy, that's how it came to us. I think that we got raw product coming from uh, local dairies, probably through the Colorado uh, Dairy Cooperative Extension. And then we would go ahead and... Uh, pasteurize and homogenize and then package that for the Denver market. Yeah, so um, as you like said, dairy milk, if you're getting dairy, most dairy at the grocery store is pasteurized and homogenized. So uh, pasteurization is obviously just a process of heating up the milk and then cooling it back down um, to make it last longer. Um, it's obviously more shelf-stable than when it's been pasteurized. Homogenization, I think it's probably the one people are less familiar with. But basically, homogenization, if you don't homogenize your milk, the, uh, like the cream will settle on top of the milk, uh, whereas when you homogenize it, it keeps the cream throughout the entire product. Tara, I grew up on a farm in Colorado, and right across the street was a fairly large uh, dairy farm, and they uh, had Jersey cattle. Uh, not Holsteins, but Jersey cattle, which are less common than they used to be. And we would buy raw milk from them. And I loved it because the cream settled to the top third or quarter of the jar. We made our own butter, our own ice cream. There's nothing better than homemade ice cream and, 
and so it's just a, a great great upbringing and I just love that today it's kind of hard to find that anymore especially because most of dairies in Colorado have been pushed out to the uh, outside uh, parts of the state they're not really close into Denver anymore um, Tara I have a question for you about um, the kind of uh, breeds that we see in the United States of dairy cattle I think people are most commonly familiar with Holsteins but there's other breeds out there what what are they yeah, so we um, are, our dairy is all Holstein, so those are the big black and white cows. Those are the most common. Um, as you mentioned, then there's Jersey. Jersey uh, have a little bit higher uh, butter fat content, so the milk is a little bit different. They're a little bit smaller animal as well. Um, and then there's lots of others. There's brown swish, there's Guernseys. Um, they're just slight variations. I mean, comparing Holsteins to Jerseys. Holsteins are a little bit larger. They have the black and white spots. Jerseys are brown, and they're a little smaller. So, you know, it's, they're ultimately all within the dairy breed, but they are just have small differences between them. And um, why do most dairy people in the United States have Holsteins? Is it just because they're the most efficient at converting feed to milk? And also the next question is how many gallons of milk a day does an average Holstein cow produce? Yeah, so um, actually Jersey cows are the most feed efficient, so they require the least amount of feed for how much milk they produce, uh, but they produce less milk than a Holstein. So that's kind of the trade-off that some people have is um, kind of finding that balance. Um, you can obviously also do a cross that's half Holstein, half Jersey. Um, so there's lots of options and lots of reasons for choosing different breeds. Um, some of it is about climate as well. Some breeds, um, I, the Holstein tends to be a little bit hardier breed that can withstand cooler and warmer temperatures. Um, so it really just depends on where you're at and what your goals are for your herd as far as what you're looking for. Hey, here's a, uh, we're trying to wrap things up here, but here's a great question. Why don't more people involved with the dairy production part uh, participate in online discussions this has been tremendous today you opening up the door to a lot of information but we we find that sometimes the industry is silent uh why is that how come we don't get more people actively involved yeah i think there's a lot of different reasons i think that some dairy farmers you know they're they have a full-time job it's dairy farming adding on the responsibility of sharing online and doing promotion can be very time consuming. Um, it, it may not be for everyone either. Not everyone wants to open up their lives and their farms to everyone on the internet. Um, and then, I, but I, I think that overall, like the tide is shifting. I think more and more farmers, no matter what industry they're in, whether it be beef or dairy or crop production, um, there's more and more dairy or farmers sharing online and really opening up their farms to people. Uh, you know, if people are interested in learning more, I actually am a part of a page called Discover Ag at Discover Ag underscore on Instagram, where we share about all sorts of different types of farming um, and just trying to connect people with where their food comes from. That makes a lot of sense. And when you think about it, 20 years ago, we didn't have that kind of infrastructure to share that kind of information. So that's good news out there. Yeah, definitely. And I think that will continue to come, especially with the younger generation coming onto the farm that are already more involved. I mean, you know, they've been using social media their entire lives um, or been on the Internet their entire lives and been on social media for a majority of that. I think we'll see more and more people just really um, leaning into that possibility of um, sharing more about their farms. 
Tara, we had a guest on a month ago from the beef production side, and uh, it came out in that conversation that uh, there's more beef, pounds of beef now available uh, than there was in 1972 with, I think, like 40% less cattle because now they're more efficient in how they uh, raise the cattle with genetics and then feed them and all that. But what about dairy? Talk about the, the sustainability of dairy. And for those people that you know, feel guilty when they go and grab that bar of cheese out of their refrigerator or drink that glass of milk because of something they saw on social media that they should start to have some sort of guilty feeling. But talk about the sustainability of dairy. Yeah, you definitely should not feel guilty. There's such an incredible sustainability story behind dairy. Uh, dairy farmers have reduced their carbon footprint by 60% in the last 70 years. Uh, in the last, I think it's 10 years, we reduced it by another, I think it's 30%. Um, like there, We have made some really great strides in improving sustainability. And a lot of that has to do with the genetics of the cow improving. So uh, a single cow is able to produce more milk. Um, which improves our sustainability. It also has to do with their diet. Cows are have incredibly high-quality feed and are being the more comfortable, healthier a cow is, the more milk they'll produce. So, you know, the healthier we can make our herds, um, that actually plays into our sustainability. Um, and then cows are incredible upcyclers. I said this, that they take food we can't eat, like grass and, and hay, and turn it into a nutritious product. I recently learned about, like, the protein side of things. For every 60 grams of protein a cow consumes from grass, they turn it into 100 grams of protein. So it's the only, ruminant animals are the only animal that is able to do that to actually make more protein. So they have an incredible sustainability story, and um, I, I hope everyone will be able to go and enjoy their favorite dairy products and know they can feel good about it. Tara, we have a couple of crazy dining options that we're seeing in the Denver area charcuterie boards are all the rage right now you've seen these salami prosciutto the cheeses but lately we're seeing butter boards this i find this to be fascinating this is whipped butter that's spread out on a board and then that's going to be decorated with those items that that go with butter it would be croutons it would be breadsticks it would be various types of fruits and vegetables have you seen that phenomenon down there in uh New Mexico? Yes, I actually made my first butter board this weekend, and I highly recommend it. It was, like you said, just you spread a bunch of butter across a board. Um, I went with a kind of a spicy, savory side, um, so I added spicy honey as well as jalapenos and some um, chili flakes from my garden, and then spread it on some great toasted sourdough bread, and it was a big hit. I'm going to have to try that this week. That's a great thing to be doing for the holidays. We have, you know, Thanksgiving coming up and then Christmas and then the New Year's. But, you know, uh, everybody has less money to spend on food this year, perhaps because the cost of food is up, whatever, 12, 15 percent, runs away you shop. But butter is cheaper than charcuterie. And just as good, we had on this show uh, about two months ago, uh, Tara, um, Nina Teicholz, who wrote the book, The Big Fat Surprise, Why Butter, Meat, and Cheese Belong in a Healthy Diet. So we tried to yes. have get the word out that, you know, you can eat cheese and you can eat butter without it uh, causing any ill uh, harms to your overall health. <laughs> yes, I love her book. She is a great advocate for those healthy fats that we find in, in butter and dairy and all those things. So that's amazing. Tara, here's a great question for you. When you did your first butterboard last week, 
How much was left at the end? So there was none of the spicy one left at all. I mean, it was it was very small amounts. It was a big hit. So good for you. That's fantastic. What a great new phenomenon. Tara, I saw a uh, social media post where someone built a butterboard back east, and they um, drizzled honey on the top. And they also put uh, edible wildflower petals sprinkled over the top to give it some decor. And then uh, they one side of the butterboard, they made it kind of hot and spicy. I think they used sriracha or some other spicy sauce. But I think there's a lot of creative things that people can do with butterboards, and they're good for you. And, uh, you know, I think it'd be fun to see what people do the holiday season with, with the butterboards. Yeah, I really think the possibilities are endless. Um, you can do the sweet um, side of ones, apples, cinnamon, that kind of thing. And then, yeah, the spicy ones. Uh, really, there's so I've seen so many now online that uh, some really great ideas and flavor combinations. Very good. You know, I'm also starting to see in the local supermarkets compound butter. This is where they're going to take butter and they're going to whip it with parsley or with cilantro or with uh, with garlic, and then they'll package it that way, and then that's being sold as flavored garlic or flavored butter. It's a fantastic marketing idea. Yeah, I love that too. I, I feel like we're just tapping in to um, all the things we can do with butter, and I really love to see it. Tara, we're out of time today, uh, but just in the last 30 seconds, I would like you to explain to our listeners um, how they can follow you, how they can find you on social media, and just if they want to learn more about dairy or learn more about how to defend the dairy industry, or they just want to feel less guilty when they eat their cheese because of something they read in the New York Times. So go ahead and explain how people can find you on social media. Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at Tara Vanderdusen, uh, and then you can also find me on Instagram at discoverag underscore. Um, that one will be covering more than just dairy, all sorts of different types of farming. And then you can check out my website, taravanderdusen.com. Um, as you guys mentioned, I'm on LinkedIn, Tara Vanderdusen, so you can kind of find me any place on social media. Um, and I hope you guys will. I hope you'll find me, reach out to me, and uh, we can connect. Great. We'll list all those links um, on the Food Chat website, www.foodchat.us, so people can go there to find these links. Tara, thank you so much for being on our show today. Tara, thanks a lot for the information. We loved it. Today's show is brought to you by RanchFreshMeats.com. Ranch Fresh Meats finds the best quality local, high-quality meat products produced by families in the area that we know personally. So go to ranchfreshmeats.com and hey, sign up for the weekly newsletter because that's the way you find out what we have on special. And every week we do a drawing and give away one free case of product. This month, win a free case of Beeler's Bacon. Ranchfreshmeats.com. Here's to the farmer that plants the fields in the spring that turn from green to that harvest honey. One up for the banker downtown They got him on his feet with handshake of money Here's to the farmer's wife That loves him every night Raising a son The views and opinions expressed on KLZ 560 are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect those of Crawford Broadcasting, the station, management, employees, associates, or advertisers. KLZ 560 is a Crawford Broadcasting God and Country station.